Hello and welcome to episode four of the Cosper Pointcast. I'm your host, Trevor Shackles. Joining me today is a writer from Hockey Graphs and today's Slapshot, it's Sean Tierney. Sean, how's it going? Great. Uh, glad to be here, Trevor. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So we're recording on a Monday night, which is actually a week after the Mika Zibanejad and Derek Brassard trade. So I'm getting a bit late to this than most people, but there's no way I couldn't really acknowledge this on the podcast. And so this swap is quite interesting because there's such a division between Senators fans. Like a lot of people are saying it's a great trade. They like getting the supposedly better player. But I've seen a lot of comments on Facebook and Silver 7 and Twitter and everywhere saying that they hate giving up the younger player, the guy who's six years younger. And it's it's sort of rare to have sort of this lack of consensus uh, amongst all the fans. So speaking of that, what was your initial take on the trade when it happened? Well, I think uh, the first thing for me that I thought was we're kind of lucky, and this is maybe a bit of an aside, but we're lucky in the middle of July to get a real trade like this, something to sort of sink your teeth into. Right. It's kind of the, it's the dog days of summer, right? And writers take their holidays and we've got a real trade here to, to dig into. So, I mean, in that way, it was kind of nice. But um, my initial take was um, Zabinijad and Broussard, as near as I could tell, thinking of, you know, sort of the, the stats that I pay attention to, um, it was kind of the same player. So it was a little bit difficult to figure out what the motivation was just at that First sort of hot take what are the two teams thinking because you know their their possession is sort of similar their goals for percentage last year in both cases pretty similar uh their primary points rates uh i tweeted something out earlier for both of them uh, especially last year the two of them were pretty similar so um you have to look you know sort of beyond that consideration as the motivation for what the teams were thinking and so like you were saying, you start to think of age and money. And those are the, the only real things you can see that are a difference. So Minajad's a lot younger. Uh, he's cheaper for now anyway. Um, and so for the sense to make the move was kind of strange, I, I thought. Anyway, um, my first take is these are two players that are basically even where we sit, give or take. Um, and then the, the picks that were thrown in, I think there's a bit of a misconception that people have about what the real value of a draft pick is. But uh, those two picks, the second and the seventh, there isn't really much of a difference in expected value out of those two. So my, my first take on this trade was we're looking at a wash, basically a, a draw, no winner at all, which is strange. Right. I I definitely think... When I first saw that, I was just at work, and I, I didn't actually know that there were picks involved. It just said something about Broussard for Zibanejad, and my first thought was the same thing, sort of like, well, that's kind of strange. Like, they're both sort of second-line centers that could maybe be put on a first line. So it, it was kind of strange, and you're right. It was hard to see what the motive was. Um, obviously, like you said, the expected value for the draft picks, it's not going to be... Obviously, like a, a second-round pick isn't like a top-ten pick or something, but I mean there is a, there is a difference obviously between a second and a seventh, and we'll get into that later, um, as that seems to have some. It looks like there were some financial uh, reasons why they did that, um, but I think for now, like for the past, how long has Zabanjic been in the league? He's been in the league four seasons now, 
I believe. Right. Um, over the course of those four years, I'm pretty sure everybody would say that Broussard's been the better player overall. Um, although that gap is, it looks like it's closing. Zibanejad had seven fewer points than Broussard last year, and he is six years younger. He's supposedly going into his prime at age 23. Meanwhile, Broussard's 29. So it is interesting to see that they're sort of heading into different areas of their career. Yeah, and um, I think, like you said, last year were they so different? Not really. I don't think so. They were, you know, basic, basically comparable uh, in what they produced. And so you know, the age thing becomes really important there. Is Zabenejad, you know, has he peaked or are we looking at a player that's trending upwards? And, you know, how soon before a 29-year-old Bersard starts to, you know, notably fall off? There's a lot of reason to think that Zabenejad is going to continue to improve and we know that forwards peak at 26 27 years old so Broussard's definitely on the wrong side of that um I, I don't know I, I think that it's a trade that yeah, it's definitely motivated by the win now mentality for sure yeah and the funny thing I find with this trade also is that I remember when Broussard it felt like for the longest time he was on the trading block when he was with Columbus and he ended up, ended up getting moved in the Marion Gabrick deal in 2013. Back then in 2013, honestly, the asking price for, for him probably would have included a young Mika Zibanejad who right. would have just been unproven. So at that point, you could, you could have looked at it and said, well, we're giving up an unproven guy for a proven guy. So that would have made a bit more sense back then. But um, yeah, like I remember back then I really wanted Broussard and it's sort of it's sort of odd because it's almost like I don't really want him now just because of who we're giving up. Like I'm very just right. meh on the deal, you know, like I, I, I'm not I'm not hating it or anything, but I just really don't like acquiring a guy who's six years older. That That's really my main beef with it. And I think um, your reaction to it, it really sort of speaks for what we saw social media wise anyway, that there's sort of this weird division between people right. that sort of think they like it, people that sort of think they don't. But it seems like people are, I don't know, somewhere right in the middle on it. It's kind of a, it's a confusing, no clear winner, divisive deal in that way. Yeah, like I, I think I'm sort of known in the blogosphere who I can be kind of negative and stuff. But honestly, like I, I guess I'm slightly more negative on this deal, but like ultimately I'm not, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say Pierre Dorian should lose his job over this or something, mainly because <laughs> uh, we'll get into this later, but mainly because Eugene Melnick has his fingerprints on this as well. But yeah, it's just sort of an odd trade that really came out of nowhere. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. I think, and uh, you know, maybe we'll come back to this as we talk too, but um, I don't think that Broussard was the name that was being floated by the Rangers. It sort of looked like it was Stepan that might be on the trading block there. Uh, Zabinijad wasn't a name that you know you heard every day as a trade candidate either. So yeah, definitely out of the blue and just kind of a weird in the middle of the summer trade to, to come out of nowhere. Right. So also um, an interesting part of the deal that we discussed briefly was that the Senators essentially gave their second round pick in order to save the $2 million that Derek Broussard had on his, uh, he had a $2 million bonus. And uh, Larry Brooks, I don't know how much you can trust him, but I, th I think this is a credible source, um, 
basically said that that's what they did. Pierre Dorian waited a bit so they could save the $2 million and didn't have to pay his bonus. Um, and Eugene Melnick has obviously had his fingerprints on so many moves in the past, and it, it clearly hurts how the team operates. And so even if, if the trade was Zibanejad for Broussard straight up, would you like it? Um, you sort of touched on this in the past, and obviously uh, I think I have a bigger beef with the draft pick than you do. Yeah, and that's a little strange too because the, the draft is a place where I'm, I do a lot of my sort of research there. I'm really interested in that. And leading up to the draft, I was you know tweeting out all sorts of charts that I was uh, digging through on expected value of picks. And I really, I think the draft, especially in this in our cap system, uh, is so key to how teams replenish their their prospects and have those young players that are on cheap deals. So. You know, I, I don't minimize the draft. I'm no draft schmaft guy at all. But I think that people are a little bit out of touch um, with what the value of these picks really is. And so um, one thing that I would say, this is a study I did about a year ago, is you expect about 20% of draft picks to ever play 100 NHL games. It's about one in five of your picks that get to 100 games. And there really isn't a lot of variation from team to team on that over time. A little bit here and there, but basically that's what you're going to get. Um, so in a draft where you have seven rounds and say you have your seven picks, you're looking at getting one player uh, out of that draft that ever really you know catches on in the NHL and sticks. Right. And that player is almost always going to be that first round draft pick that you had, and it's not going to be any of the other ones. Um, but Michael Shuckers, who's a the one who's organized the uh, Ottawa Analytics Conference the past two years at Carleton, um, he's done a couple of studies where he's done expected value of the picks and he's looked at uh, games played at each of the pick slots in the draft or time on ice for these players. And using all of these, he's put together what each pick, what the value is. So you know, pick number one, the value is 1,000. If you go all the way to the last pick, 210, you're looking at a value of about 30. And what does the value mean? It's just a way to compare one pick to the next. Um, and so once you get to the 24th pick overall in the draft, the difference between the 24th overall and the 210th pick is about 100 uh, expected value points, huh. 100 points. And that's the same as the difference between um, the 18th and the 24th pick. So wow. you drop as much in those sort of six picks in the first round as you do the rest of the way through the entire draft. So this is a long way of saying you hear second rounder for seventh, you know, the gut reaction is that's a lot of rounds in between those picks. That's that's significant. But really over time, over the past, you know, 15 years of the draft, those two picks wind up being both pretty random shots in the dark. And so you want to have your shots in the dark. You want to have those picks uh, to get those players in your system. But in the end, a second versus a seventh rounder, it's pretty negligible in terms of the, the value of surrender. So uh, it's not a heartbreaking thing to save $2 million and trade down that far in the draft. It actually might be smart, which is kind of a strange thing to say about a Melnick-motivated <laughs> move. But uh, it, it really may be true that you know he saved $2 bucks there and didn't really sacrifice a lot of value. Right. Well, I do find it interesting that your the the point that you were harping on there was Pierre Dorian sort of said the same thing, where he said that he's confident that 
their scouting team may be able to get the better player in the seventh round than the second round. And I think, I mean, that's sort of wishful thinking, but you're right. Like, it certainly could happen. Um, I just find it strange that for a team that relies so heavily on drafting and developing, and they, they talk about how much they pride pride themselves on that, the fact that they've given up, uh, it seems like they're always trading these second-round picks, honestly. Like, they don't have a second-round yeah. pick next year for the Dion Phaneuf deal. Um, I mean, I don't know. Murray, Murray's given up, given up so many second-round picks. They they traded uh, a second and a third to move up to get Gabriel Gagne. They've they've traded for, you know, Chris Campoli and uh, who's a guy, Andy Sutton and, you know, guys like yeah. that. So it is sort of strange, but you're right. It may not be the biggest deal uh, in the well, world. Well, I think, though... And your point, though, still does hold, I think. Like, what does it say about management that they're willing to switch a second for a seventh? Like, you still bet are better off with a second-round pick over a seventh. The value still is better. It's just, you know, not that much better. But the fact that they thought they needed to throw this flipped pick in to get this deal done, it really says where their head was at in this deal that they thought they were really winning by getting Broussard and so they were going to have to pitch in to save this money and, and make the deal happen so you know there still is a, a way to critique it here but in the end it won't be the make or break in this trade for sure right and, and I think you can also make the point that they sort of made this trade to save some money on the next Zibanejad deal um, because he could be making you know maybe five six million and Broussard's, Broussard's capitus is I believe five correct that's right yeah yeah so yeah, right off yeah, so he has three years left on that, so he may be cheaper in the long run, especially if he maybe declines after the next few years here. Moving on, the, the odd thing I find about this also is that they made such a marginal upgrade for the second-line center, and we touched on this a few minutes ago. Um, but I remember last month I had an article talking about moving, potentially moving Mika Zibanejad and saying he wasn't necessarily untouchable. Um, do you sort of think that they maximize his value around the league because I was hoping that if they were going to move him, they would move him for defensemen. Yeah. And, and I think um, we're seeing this off season that the value of a defenseman, for one thing, it's all over the place. The Subban Weber deal is just wild still to, to see that way that that broke down. But um, in terms of, you know, trading your young forward and hoping to get a defenseman, the most recent comparable there is Taylor Hall for Adam Larson, which was basically the Devils just fleecing right. the Oilers who, who just they you know the Oilers made the decision that they needed defense so badly that they were going to pay the price. But if the price is Taylor Hall to get yourself an Adam Larson, I mean Mika Zibanejad is not going to get you any defenseman that improves you know really notably in their top six anyway because you know Zibanejad and Hall there's not much of a comparison there and uh, you know so if you make that trade down from Larson maybe you're bringing in a fifth defenseman for your team or, or maybe a fourth I don't know but Zibanejad wasn't going to bring in a lot uh, in return on the defensive side so you know looking for a forward for him was the way to go Zibanejad is he's young and he's definitely trending up all three years like his possession stats have been positive his primary points rate is climbing so we see good things his contract value is pretty reasonable you know around the league right now um 
yeah, I don't think that they did maximize the value if they went shopping for another forward somewhere else with some other team making another flip. But yeah, on on defense, the deals just aren't there. You're you're paying Taylor Hall to get Adam Larson, and that was that was just brutal. So I, I don't think that Sen fans need to you know lament the loss of a defenseman that should have been coming back. I don't think those are out there in Zabinajad's price range. That wasn't going to happen. But Broussard's probably not maximum value for a young, upward trending, cheap forward like Zabinajad, who you know looks like he's going to he's heading towards a couple of good years in the near future. And you sort of touched on it a moment ago where you said, you know, maybe you save money trading Zabinijad now because the next contract, maybe it's going to be big. Uh, but even if it was, you know, the reason it would be big is because Zabinijad has developed into this, you know, really positive player that you'd want to keep on your team. So yeah, I don't think that they maximize the value for sure, but in terms of getting the defense when the team needs, that probably wasn't going to happen anyway. Yeah, you're right. I think if you look around the league and look at um, the defense pairings for each team besides maybe, I guess, Nashville, it's really not that pretty. Like, I feel like there aren't many good options on the second and third pairing for most teams. Although I am kind of curious to see what would have happened or what the return would be if they try to package him Zibanejad, that is, with, say, a Curtis Lazar or a Cody Cece. But I, I just know that would never happen because it seems like they value those two, especially Cece, a lot, um, just to see if they could get maybe an even better guy than, than, than Cece. Um, just because, you know, if, you, if the Devils can get Larson, or sorry, if they can get rid of Larson and get Hall, I would be curious yeah. to see if Ottawa could have, you know, notched a first line winger just like Hall probably not but I'd be curious to see what the return is well the only problem is that Peter Chiarelli's already traded Hall and you know Chiarelli's exactly. the door you want to go knocking on so well maybe but go yeah I don't Gabriel know like right exactly yeah I mean the abs might do something crazy there too but uh, I, I think that it, it's a good point like Cody Cece if you look at his his possession work um, you know it's not super strong either and I think the Sens are really high on what he can offer in the long run and I'm definitely more skeptical uh, of of what he could offer long term so you know if it's a Benajad plus CC and then you're shopping that around looking for your improvement on defense you might actually get something there for those two but I, I don't think the organization wants to do anything with CC at all they want him around for a long time it looks like yeah they definitely do and I just am praying that he actually has some improvement this season because you're right I, I just don't see him as that second pairing guy just yet but they sort of need him to be that guy and especially yeah. if they're giving him a big contract this summer uh honestly I could see like a four or five year deal happening and that could go south pretty quickly if he doesn't uh if he doesn't have put up a good season this year yeah and I think um he's the same thing as Lazar there's a couple of guys that the the organization has identified as sends that are going to be here for sure. And um, right. I, I fear that real long-term deal for CC too. I just pulled up, um, I, I tweeted out a signing card for him in advance of him actually getting his deal. And uh, like his possession rate last year, not that we want to get too far off on CC, but just his possession rate was below 45% last year, which was a major negative relative to the other guys on the team. Um, his 
goals for percentage was expected to be around 45% too. Like they're a major. Uh, yeah, he was among red one of the worst on the team. Exactly, and and I don't think that the I don't think the Sens management necessarily sees it like that. So you know the worry is that four or five year deal is coming for him and it's going to be big, but that's a problem for another day, I guess. Right. So um, one thing that people and Pierre Dorian himself have pointed out in this trade is that Broussard is a left-handed shot. And it, I guess it's something they were looking for. I didn't realize that it was. Um, and we saw that Mika didn't really mesh with Bobby Ryan. And Broussard's more of a playmaker than a finisher, although he did have a, an absurd shooting percentage last season. Yeah. Um, you think it's possible that Ryan can score a few more goals off the rush next year and at the same time become less of a playmaker and more like the guy he was in Anaheim? Yeah, I don't know that I ever really saw Zibinijad and Ryan as a nice fit because Ryan's the guy that should be shooting for better or for worse on whatever exactly. line he's on. But Zibinijad was pretty reliable at sort of cruising down the center heading straight towards the net and picking up all his shots and goals, sort of heading right down the Royal Road. So, you know, they didn't really compliment. They kind of wanted similar roles on their line. It was almost crazy to keep them uh, together. So could Broussard line up better with that? Yeah, maybe, I, I guess. Uh, my skepticism there would be that I see Bobby Ryan as dropping off pretty darn quickly. Like, that, I don't think the 30... 35 goal years are coming back for him. Right. His possession numbers have like just dropped off immensely and and he's not he's definitely not a top line sort of scorer in the league anymore. I don't know if that's coming back. So can Brassard pump him back up because he's, you know, a little bit more likely to be a pass guy? Maybe. And definitely better than Zabinajad because I think Zabinajad was looking for his shot, you know, most of the time shoot first sort of mentality so yeah there might be maybe better chemistry there but predicting how two guys are going to mesh and then basing an entire trade on a projection of chemistry is a pretty risky way to to make a deal i think yeah it's sort of like i've seen edmonton bloggers talk about you know if if larson becomes a first pairing guy and hall doesn't do this it's just like all these ifs if if this if that then the trade's okay, right? Um, I do agree that Ryan is sort of, well, not sort of, he definitely is on a downward slope. I, I still think he can be a guy who can put up 50-plus points, maybe not 60 anymore, um, just because he's tailed off at the end of the year for three straight years now. So you kind of have to question his, uh, you know, his longevity, if he can actually be able to play an entire season. But if he does actually quote-unquote bounce back and you know maybe put up 65 points or something and come close to 30 goals and I guess you can say that it was maybe maybe a win also it depends on what Zibanejad does obviously but if if Ryan does get some improvement then you sort of have to say it is a win although that's a huge if yeah and and we might see it maybe maybe that chemistry is coming I think that Broussard is more likely to be the playmaker Exactly. Sabanajad ever was, but yeah, a twenty-nine-year-old Bobby Ryan. We're not, we're not about to see some sort of bounce back to the Anaheim Ducks days from him. I, I hope that he can continue to be a twenty-five goal guy. I hope that that's something the Sens can count on for another couple of seasons. But we're watching a guy who's about to break down, and so 
you know, hopefully Broussard can prop him up for a little while. Yeah, for sure. So something that's constantly talked about in Sen's Twitterverse is that Ottawa has a ton of players within the Ottawa region, and we sort of mock them uh, for that. And obviously, Broussard is from Hull, like everyone has been saying. Do you think that's more of just a coincidence, or do you think he was actually targeted as someone who is local and therefore more important? Yeah, it's a weird... It's kind of a weird trend, and I've definitely... you know, I don't uh, always take part in the bashing, but I get to watch it go on. Um, yeah, I think that it, it, it did come into play here, and I sort of touched on it earlier. All the rumors in the summer were sort of centering around Derek Steppen being the guy that the Rangers thought they were going to move to get whatever, some cap relief to shake up their forward ranks, whatever. And then uh, Broussard's deal kind of... Broussard sort of came a little bit out of nowhere as the guy that was going to move at all. And it really does sort of seem like the Senators, maybe they got into a talk about stepping at first and then said, actually, you know, for us, Broussard's from around here and that's the kind of thing we're doing around here. So... Yeah, I think that it it may have played in. It's a difficult one to prove, and I have no fancy stats to trot out on it, but uh, you look through the roster, how many of the guys are from the air. Yeah, and, you know, some of the players that are definitely replacement level or worse that stick around the roster because of their hometown. So, yeah, <laughs> I think it did come to play here. <laughs> you know, you try not to single anybody out. But, uh, yeah, Borokop is the, the clear example of a guy that, you know, why is he here? Because he's from around here. And, yeah, I think it did come into play probably. Yeah, I, I think it was a factor. Like, I don't think they went out of their way to do it necessarily. But you can guarantee there's going to be so many things, uh, you know, in preseason, just as the season starts, that talk about him being a good local boy and stuff, yeah. which is, I mean, there comes a point where you can't even say that anymore because the whole team's going to be from Ottawa. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I, I, that's one way to build your team, I guess. If like a Derek Broussard is a, you know, he's a good hockey player, he's a useful person to have on the team, so that's okay. Uh, exactly. For yeah. Him. When you're talking about Boro, <laughs> that's where the that's where the holes in the plans start to really show. But yeah, I, they definitely have a love for their Ottawa area people, and it's only getting worse. Yeah. Um. I was listening to. Callum Fraser and Alec Brownscombe, their uh, Battle of Ontario podcast the other day. And Callum was mentioning how this Murray quote about, I don't have the quote with me right now, but he, he was saying that local guys from like wherever, so he's with Ottawa right now, so local guys from Ottawa will sign for cheaper probably and you can, you know, you can bet on them signing a long-term deal and sort of that they'll want to play better in front of their f- friends and family so they'll be more more motivated but I just see that as so flawed because to to suggest that uh, player X isn't going to be as motivated as, as player Y just because of where he's from is very strange. And if like that's their actual business model, I just that kind of blows my mind. The only situation where I can see the rationale is if you're looking at two players and basically they're interchangeable. Yeah, and exactly. So you choose the, the hometown guy because and that makes sense. Why not? Right. But I think in this case, if Broussard was brought into the deal uh, because he's the hometown kid, and then that's why this whole deal, you know, gets finished in the end, Zabinijan's probably going to be better within two years 
going to be close anyways. It's not the kind of rationale you want to make all your uh, your decisions based on, for sure. Yeah, exactly. So um, recently, Dorian has also talked about being a better team right now and not in the future. And they've traded for Dion Phaneuf and now Derek Broussard, and they obviously don't want to wait on some of their guys developing. Um, but like as it stands right now, this is still a wildcard team at best for me. So it's sort of odd to see them talking about winning now if they aren't really going to add to the current roster. So do you think they'll actually make a push to be better, or is it is the goal this year just going to be the same old, like, get in and anything can happen that, you know, that never really happens, though? Right, and I think if I'm, you know, if I'm sitting in the boardroom um, with fans management right now, uh, how are we talking ourselves? Um, the first thing you say is we've got a whole new coaching staff with some coaches who had major success, you know, lots of success anyway, internationally, and we're bringing them back. I think that they're pretty high on what Boucher is going to be able to do for the team. And Mark Crawford in tow is really neat too. So, um, you know, do they think that the team might be better just with the same personnel but new coaching? I bet they probably do. Um, and then, you know, if you get healthy seasons again from – Craig Anderson and if Mike Hoffman continues to do what he's done for the team and they don't trade him off because they just won't sign him I'm there's enough here that you could start talking yourself into this team being a seventh or eighth seed maybe and if you add another player if you try to fix the defense a little bit I can definitely see how the management would talk themselves into this team being not so far off and then definitely once you get in Anything can happen. Oh, God. Um, but I would say the Sens are up against a bigger problem than, you know, sort of maybe we realize. They're the sixth oldest team in the NHL right now, average age-wise. And Carlson's contract, you know, it's already starting to loom in our discussions that in a couple of years, his contract is up. And so, I don't know, do you say as a management group... We've got Carlson here now. He's probably the best defenseman in the league, no matter what the Norris says. <laughs> um, we've got Craig Anderson, who, you know, he's still holding up. He's still a good goaltender, but that's not going to last forever. We brought in guys like Faneuf and Abrissard. I, I think that for sure the team sees it as we can push ourselves into the playoffs with just coaching changes, some small improvements to the roster. And I'm not even necessarily sure that that's the, the worst idea because I think in a couple of years, this team's going to run into some major problems with guys like Bobby Ryan and Dion Phaneuf being super old. And guys like Carlson, you know, when his contract comes up, you pray, if you're the Senators, that you're going to be able to give him all the money he needs to stay. But you do have to start worrying about, you know, what are his options and what is he thinking? Right, and I think your fact about them being the sixth oldest team is a perfect reason why they should continue adding. And like, I, I've been critical of the team for not adding uh, some depth players. There are tons of depth forwards available for cheap, like one million, one and a half million dollars. Um, like, they really don't. I I honestly feel like they don't need to add a ton. They just need to add some competent role players, guys who aren't going to get caved in every night. Um, yeah. But yeah, like. I think they honestly would keep adding. I, I really do believe that Doran would do more 
if he had the budget. Like, I, I just find it so hard to evaluate what he's done so far because there's no way if he was if he was the GM of the Maple Leafs, he isn't going to give up or he isn't going to swap those second and seventh round picks because they're going to have the money. So it is sort of hard to evaluate how Dorian's done so far. Um, but it is sort of frustrating that they're going to have to rely on all these ifs. You know, if Hoffman gets even better, if Ryan can improve with Broussard, and, and um, if CC improves, all these things. Um, yeah, like, I just, it's hard to see them going deep, and I wish they'd add more. It's just, it's really hard when you have such a tight budget. Well, that's the thing. I don't know how you do both things at the same time. If you want to be an internal budget team and you want to stockpile draft picks, sell off your older assets, and you want to try to be in sort of a perpetual rebuild, that's fine and that can work. But I'm not sure that you can say, okay, uh, we've got a couple years left of Carlson. We've got old players on the roster. We're going to make our push now. And also, we're not going to spend to the cap. I'm not sure that those two ideas go together. If for some reason Melnick decides we're going to spend what we need to spend to get this done and, you know, they can add the players that that extra money allows, I don't know. It doesn't sound quite as crazy. Do they become a first or second overall in the East team? No. But if they're in the middle of the pack, the East is always a strange place to be come playoff time. If you're, you know, fifth or sixth seed, you do get some interesting and not necessarily scary matchups. But as long as the budget is restricting how they spend, I don't know. I don't see how you say we're going for it, but we're also not going to fully go for it. Right. That's such a – you're stuck between a rock and a hard place there. Like, I – honestly, at this point, I would take them acknowledging that they need to improve the roster, but it's just hard given the budget. And they really haven't said that. They've sort of said – you know, we, we like our top six. We like our depth guys. We think some young guys can come in. Our defense got stabilized with Fanoff, which really it didn't. Um, so it's sort of disappointing to see that. I mean, obviously part of that is PR, but I just feel like maybe they aren't that aware that they aren't good enough, um, yeah. which sort of contradicts what I said earlier about Dorian maybe adding some guys. But, yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's just – kind of depressing really <laughs> what well, i think it's the depressing part might be for a sense fan that you look at this roster and you see that the forwards it isn't a major problem there is some depth there are some really good options guys right. like stone and hoffman it's they're great players they they're the kind of players that you build a good team around for sure Carlson is a once-in-a-generation kind of defenseman. So the, there are enough pieces here that you can't help but think to yourself, this is a team that should be going for it right, right now. Right, which is what I've said for the longest trying. time. Right, right, right. But until they, until they either unlock a little bit more cash to fix their defense, basically that's the priority. Until they do that, you're stuck. And And if they don't add something significant to fix their top six for next year we're going to be sitting here again in a year talking about how they just narrowly missed the playoffs and what are they going to do with all these old players with long contracts right well you know this is kind of depressing so let's move on to something more happy <laughs> let's talk about our favorite Mika Zibanejad moments so I'll give you a few options and you can you know you can give your own option at the end if you want as well 
So option number one, his overtime goal uh, in the World Junior Championships when he was on Team Sweden in the finals. Uh, his hat trick against Calgary this season, which was scored in something like just over three minutes, which was insane. Yep. Or my personal favorite, his soccer goal in the playoffs against the Montreal Canadiens that inspired the greatest gif of Paul McLean you've ever seen. Yeah, so those are all good options. I feel like for my choice, I've got to stick with an NHL goal, so that takes out Team Sweden right <laughs> off the bat. Um, I actually, just to make sure I was set on my uh, favorite moment from him, I looked at all his goals from last year just to make sure I was set. And I, I think the natural hat trick has, has got to be the winner for me, especially the first goal where he sort of curls around the back of the net and just absolutely roofs it. They, you know, they the play kind of went on for a few seconds afterwards. Right. I'm sure it had gone in. And I think it was Ordeo was in uh, net for Calgary in that game. And he was looking around. They had no idea what had happened. And just I thought that moment was so uh, so perfectly summative of what Zabinijag could offer this guy that's near the net and has just this lethal release that you know totally baffles a goaltender and then he added the other two goals and all three brought them back for the eventual win so yeah for me I think yeah that's that's the moment for me for sure yeah I, I honestly like all three um I know you you weren't gonna include the the Sweden goal I honestly just <laughs> love that goal so much just because if you've heard the the Swedish version of it when uh when he, the announcer is going, it's just fantastic. Um, and yeah, the hat trick, like you were saying, that was just incredible. Uh, the soccer goal was just, I mean, it was such a clear kick. It was just amazing. And I don't know if you've seen the gif or not of it's him kicking the goal or the puck in the net. and But instead of a puck, it's a soccer ball. And the next thing you know, it shows Paul McLean, uh, like, photoshopped onto a soccer coach's face and he's like sliding and celebrating stuff if you haven't seen it just google Mika Zibanejad gif it's incredible <laughs> um <laughs> and yeah like you were saying earlier uh about his shot I, that's one of the things I'm gonna miss about him like he just had such a wicked slap shot he didn't always score with it but I remember he scored in the preseason I believe in his first season when I think I guess that must have been 2011, 2012, when he just got drafted, or maybe the year after that. I can't remember. And it was just a wicked uh, slap shot from the point. I, th I believe it was in overtime, and he had done that a few times in the NHL. And just the fact that he's Swedish, I'm going to miss him because of that. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, some people have already started to talk about how, uh, you know, you need to surround Carlson with some... Right. Uh, nationals to keep him happy too, but, uh, you know, we'll see. And in terms of the, the shot... Um, Broussard's coming with a pretty decent release of his own, so that gap will get uh, filled in a little bit. It's you know he can really wing it as well, but I don't think we we should count on seeing another natural hat trick like that anytime you know too soon from Broussard. Yeah, but is he a DJ? <laughs> yeah, we're not going to be able to uh, compensate for that loss at all. Exactly. Just the fact that like his name sounds cool, I'm going to miss that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's true. And I mean, you can't replace that. Although, you know, the nicknames haven't started to come in yet for uh, Broussard. So we'll see what we can come up with. Yeah, going to be something good. Anyways, well, we should probably wrap it up. Uh, but before we go, tell the people where they can find you on social media. So I'm constantly tweeting out from Sean Tierney TSS. And uh, 
there's sort of a stream of graphs of random things as I go. So follow me there and uh, check out what random thing I'm working on there. And you can find the things that I'm writing at Hockey Graphs or at uh, Today's Slapshot as well. Yeah, I mean, I was I was looking at some of your graphs today from uh, that you were saying that Zabanish and Broussard are basically the same guy or have like produced the same amount, which is it's pretty interesting. I, I like your visuals. They're awesome. Well, thanks very much. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it's something I spend a lot of time doing, so hopefully it's something that uh, fills a, a need out there for uh, hockey fans. Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks for giving your thoughts on the most recent trade. That was fun, Sean. Yeah, yeah thanks for having me on, Trevor. Hope we can do this again sometime. All right, see you later. Take care. All right, before I go, reminder that you can find the Cost Per Pointcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And if you like the podcast, please give it a nice review on whatever platform you use. Uh, All help is appreciated. Uh, I'll be away for over half of the month in August, so if you send some do-trade Eric Carlson, you'll have to get your podcast thoughts elsewhere. Thanks for listening. Adios.